welcome to a very special sake deep dive. We're going into the shallow end this time. It's like a shallow dive, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, we, the, we need a we need a break after need... some of these <laughs> episodes. Indeed. We're gonna have a little year in review. 2021, the year that was. Good riddance. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame because we had such high hopes, didn't we? Oh, uh, yeah. I can vaguely remember at the end of 2020. It's like, surely next year. Surely next year things will be looking up, but I guess. 2022. 2022. High hopes we did get to meet up once. Yes. Um, we, did. we did start a podcast. Wait, hold on a second. Was it once or twice? Because we, we'd up, oh, sorry, up in twice. Iwakuni. And, yeah. then, and then in, yeah. So that was, that was good. Yeah, and, um, we, we bookended it really, didn't we? At the start of the year <laughs> and towards the end of the year. So, so yes. So today we're just going to take a little time, look back, talk about some great sake we had, talk about the things that we've talked about, and talk a little bit about what's coming ahead for 2022. Yeah, episodes in the pipeline. So absolutely. Right. So Andy, why don't we go ahead and get started? with a little review of Sake Deep Dive. What did you think? We have three episodes up. We have one recorded and a few sort of in, in the pipeline. So far, so good, I hope. So far, so good, yeah. Yeah, um, as you say, only only three episodes in, but I think there were some pretty meaty subjects that we covered. Getting the ball rolling with Futsushu was a very important beginning because it, it really is the, the bread and butter of the sake industry. And then we went to, to the other extreme, which was Ginjo. So th those two episodes were probably very important to get out the way early doors. Yeah, I think we, we started off with some pretty, yeah, as you say, important, but also sort of pet ideas, pet topics. I mean, I'm a Futsushu lover. I'm a Futsushu supporter. I want people to drink more of it. I want people to know more about it. So that was, you know, really one of my, my pet ideas. And then of course, you being in the birthplace of Ginjo, it's obviously an extremely important one for, uh, for you and your experience. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that I obviously love making Ginjo as well, but you're, you're right. You know, we, we couldn't um, not do Ginjo early doors considering that is where, where I work. And that's also my home, I suppose, as well, is the, for half the year at least, is the, the Toji no Sato, or the home of Toji, but also the, the, the birthplace of Ginjo Sake. But it was a very enjoyable episode, and not to, to sort of blow our own trumpet, but we do a lot of research for these episodes. So um, it's been a, been a good learning experience for, for both of us, I think, as well. Absolutely. You know, I've been studying sake like i've been drinking sake for a long time but studying same sake sort same of thing. intently for uh for like four years now and i've learned far much more from making this podcast than i did in all those years just because like i don't want to sound like an idiot when i'm on the mic and there's a lot of homework <laughs> the remit for this podcast was sake deep dive i think we joked after the the Ginjo episode that someone put a comment on Instagram to say that I enjoyed the first episode, but that was really above my head. The second one, I didn't really, really follow it. And I sort of joked that that's the best review we've had so far. <laughs> you know, that was kind of what we were kind of hoping, not, not in an arrogant way, but 
in the sense that we want to, you know, go deeper, as the name would suggest, than what you're likely to find in a casual article or on a yeah. blog or something. We wanted to really take it deep. And I think we've, I think we've done that for the first three, right. although the last one was definitely the, the hardest episode. I think that was, for, for me personally, that there was, you know, we really went deep on that one. Um, but ten? it's the Aruten episode, yeah. yeah. That that was the one I found. Perhaps that was the one that I, I was least aware of before we started doing the research on that. But it was very surprising to find out what we did and just how traditional Aruten is. And I never I never bought into the whole Junmai equals traditional. I knew that much before we started that episode, but I didn't realise, you know, that we could be at the point where we were arguing that actually Aruten is the the traditional method so yeah it was a very uh, very important episode to do as well you know that that episode things keep coming up that i wish i had known then there's been this discussion on these people that i follow on twitter talking about how i don't know how credible it is and, and this is why i i kind of hesitated to even bring up the the, the the merest mention of the topic in the the episode but like there are people talking about how uh they started adding distilled alcohol to sake after early Portuguese and Spanish traders brought port wine wow. to Japan. Like it was this idea, it's like, oh, you can do that. Which to me is incredibly interesting. But I mean, how do you research that? Like there's, you know, like you, all you can do is look at a timeline. It's like, yeah, it's possible. It is possible. You know, there are first mentions of of adding alcohol to sake come in what the, the 1600s and then the Spanish came in the 1500s. There was already distillation. So we're not going to go, go down that rabbit hole again <laughs> this time. Yeah, we're, I think what, what hopefully people took away from this is that there are some incredible resources out there. I mean, the books that, that I was looking at for, you know, mainly for, for the research, this is early Edo period, and to have documents that detailed is just incredible. It, it, it kind of, what really surprised me more that there's so much misunderstanding about Aruten when these documents exist. I mean, they're, they're not readily available, but you can get your hands on them if you've got a bit of money to, to throw at them. So, yeah, it just, it seems really strange that, that Aruten has such a bad reputation whereas that was the the flagship <laughs> adding shochu to to stabilize the sake it's so important in the history of sake and yet you know we started that episode on the backdrop of an article at how jumai was this that and the next thing this yeah this this underdog that only a few breweries in japan are are working to bring back pure sake it's probably just that the whole idea that we are particularly driven to dig into stuff that i don't think a lot of people are i don't think a lot of people have that obsessive level of curiosity you know obviously people are curious about stuff but you know they're not going to go tracking down 1600s brewing manuals that, that's translated into modern Japanese. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the brewers are, for all the reasons they do Araten today, are written in this text from the early Edo period. Uh, and it's a well-known text. So 
and it's just a bit of a shame that when you you know when you find out how much history was behind that that aspect of sake i think the brewers are as guilty as anyone else for not celebrating it more but yeah the the, the positives out of that was i i learned a lot about how important it is in the history of uh, sake brewing yeah me me too now I, i'm hoping to uh to get this episode uploaded on christmas day if all things go well so our next sort of official episode will then be just a few days later january 1st new year brilliant are uh, we going to do the announce or do you want to do you want to announce it sure so the next episode inevitably because we're both big fans is kimoto and this one was, woo, this was a deep one. This, this <laughs> was, yeah, if Aruten was, it was a big episode. This one's like a monster. This was the, the Mount Fuji of research for me, but um, it was. Yeah, uh, and I did, I did say that this is the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes. And we certainly spent a few weeks down that one. So yeah, hopefully it all comes together and, and we can uh, we can get some uh, good education out there. But uh, look forward to that. January 1st, Kimoto, the, the deep dive of deep dives. Now you've built it built too, it. too much, Jim, I think. <laughs> the pressure's on yeah. now. Wow. It's already recorded, so yeah, the, no the, the, that, that trigger is pulled. So yes, that is that is where we are. And sake deep dive we've jumped in and we're paddling away so now let's talk about the rest of the year in sake what was your year in sake like 2021 up and down because as you know my my main bane of my life at the moment is i made the very silly decision at the start of the brewing season as a challenge as a bit of an experiment to see how it would affect my performance i suppose up during the brewing season i decided to stop drinking until uh, we finish actually mashing, which is about early April. So I'm about three months in. So my sake enjoyment ground to a halt after a particularly nice drinking session with a famous Toji, which is a good way to fin finish it off. Mm -hmm. But I haven't had a drink since about September. So, Goodness. But the start of the year was very formative. I think, I suspect you're going to share this, this newfound love with me as well. But I suppose the biggest thing is my in increased appreciation of namajuku or aged nama zake and something that people still think is nothing short of heresy or, or something you shouldn't even be doing heard that quite a few times as well i, I absolutely am, am right there 2021 was the year i got hooked on namajuku could we say that it was because of me or is that um so when you were talking about because because you were talking about it very early on i was like mm, what because i had the jewel dragon from tamagawa and it was delicious but that like i didn't have that connection in my brain yet like i wasn't like looking at it as namajuku and you had talked about it but like it was just you know another data point in the set your influence was in there working away in my head the penny didn't drop though until i visited Nagayama Shuzo, which is Yamazaru. It's not Taka, it's cousin's thing, right? And, you know, I was talking to them and they was like, you know, what's what's your recommendation? And the Toji said, this year, this sake is just selling like crazy. And it was it was a Jumai Ginjo, it was Yamahai, 
made from Kokuryo Miyako, which is a local, a very unusual local rice. When he handed it to me, he said, this is Nama, but don't worry about it. And I was like, I, I didn't even know what he would meant. So I got home and I was drinking and I was like, this is, what is this flavor? This does not taste, what is this? And I looked and it was two years old. It was Namajuku. And this flavor to me, and, and this, is, this has been a, a common thread through probably a good dozen aged Namas that I've had this year. It, it has this hint of sulfur. And I know automatically people are like, ooh, sulfur, it's, it's gross, rotten eggs. It's like, no, it's just, it's like this delicious egginess. And if it's a dry sake, it has like a chawamushi flavor. If it's a sweet sake, it's like custard or chocolate custard even. And it's, it's rich and savory and fulfilling and it's just delicious. I, I've been into Nama Juku for a number of years now, but mm -hmm. the first time that I experienced it, I didn't know why I was enjoying it so much either. Kind of a similar thing. I, I drank a lot of Tamagawa and I, and I knew I liked it, um, but I didn't know why. And then there's a, this is a, a top tip for anyone that ever goes to Saijo. There's a little sake shop there, very famous, called Kake-san or people call them, the locals call it kake-san. I think it might, might just be kake liquor. And it's right in the middle of Saijo. It is literally about a meter away from the Hiroshima Toji Association. But when you walk in, it, you'd think you're in some Tokyo shop. The brands that they have, there's very few from Hiroshima. <laughs> I think it has Kirei Shuzo, which you know, we're talking about Namajuku, it should be obvious why that one's in there. But they, they specialize in aging sake whether not just nama but pasteurized stuff as well and there's more sake on shelves than there are in their very little fridge but i went in it was actually i think philip harper that said if you want to buy tamagawa go to this place and why on earth is he sending me into saijo but anyway when i moved there i finally went in and i was really in the mood for a very fresh nama and i saw that they had their untouched series mm -hmm. the, the the untouched series for for anyone that hasn't tried it yet i don't know if it's available outside of japan it's basically tamagawa speak for what they call jikagumi in japanese which means they they bottle it and they don't do anything to it and it's bottled straight from the press i, I bought this thinking great i've bought a very different tamagawa this is bottled straight away. This is super fresh. It was in a different bottle as well, a sort of strange shaped bottle. And when I took it home, it was incredible, but it was very similar to the Tamagawa that I'd been trying in the past, but it was just dialed in perfectly. I mean, it was incredible. It was actually our good friend Arlene that put the, the yeah. tasting note in my mouth. She, she said, you know, it's a kind of buttery quality to it. Yeah. And that's what I, ever since she said that, I kind of get that. I, I get it. I'm like, ah, okay, it is. It's a kind of almost creamy, but sometimes like burnt toast, sometimes buttery, but very rich in that definition of umami. Mm -hmm. And it was only after I was almost finished that I sort of turned around the back of the label and I realized and I went, ah, that's why he sent me to that shop because they specialize in Namajuku and they'd obviously bought it two and a half years ago and kept it and i now know that what they do is they keep it in the back and then they bring it out into the fridge and um, so it was 
originally very fresh, but not when they sold mm -hmm. it. And that was what really heightened my appreciation for, for Namajuku. Sometimes these are the best ways to do it, is to do it unsuspecting. I feel like that this is something, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm in Yamaguchi, and Yamaguchi is, you know, far from the matting crowd. Uh, so I, I don't really have my finger on the pulse of trends. But in the past, I'd say four months, I have encountered three local sake shops that age nama. Like it's a thing that they do and that they have been doing for years because they have nama that, that and, and, and like I've asked, like, is this an accident? Like, no, we are aging this because there's this, this local sake bar that I go to that they had a bottle of this. It was a Kozaimo. So and it was like, it was a Junmai Daiginjo nama. I opened the bottle and I could smell it. Oh, this is Juku. And the guy looked at me, he's like, how did you, what? He's <laughs> like, oh, this is it. This is the stuff. And I, I put it in an Echirori, uh, one of those metal pitchers to heat it up. And the guy's like, that's, it's Junmai Daiginjo. What do you do? Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> and, and his eyes, like when he drank it, his eyes lit up. He's like, this is it. This is it. And I was like, yes, this is it. So we were in this bar full of sake. And that's all we drank for the rest of the night, which is that one bottle of, of Namajuku. So it's a thing. Yeah. And to our listeners, I recommend if you can seek it out, it's an experience. It is unlike any other sake. There is something about aging Nama that, that does something different. Yeah, I mean, we've we've all been conditioned over the years to believe that, that Namazake needs to be refrigerated and it needs to be drank once you've opened it, kind of along the lines of what you would do with wine. And I'm not criticising the people that have propagated this myth about Namazake. Sometimes it isn't going to work with every single type of sake. And you do have to take a little leap of faith if you're spending your money on a bottle of sake and then putting it in a cupboard somewhere unrefrigerated, it won't work 100% of the time. I've had some that, I've never had any that I wouldn't drink, I have to say, but I've had some that it just something was missing from it. But the tried and tested brands, your Tamagawas, your Akishikas, it's not really a risk. You just have to let go of that conventional wisdom about keeping things super chilled and what have you. Keep going on about Tamagawa, but, but I, I buy a bottle of the Konotori, which I'm going to talk about in, a, in our future episode in a little bit, so spoiler alert. I bought this and it's already, I think, two years old from the brewery. And then I bought it and it had been aged by the shop for a year. So this is a bottle of Namazake. It's an Isho bean that's probably never seen a refrigerator in its life. It certainly didn't get one from in the time that I've had it. And I had that bottle open over the summer for a good four months over the summer. And you know what Japanese summers are like, but it, mm -hmm. it's in a cooler part of my apartment. I use some of it to, to just to, to, to drink. And then I used some of it to make plum wine, umeshu, mm -hmm. and because it's 22% alcohol or something. And every time I open this bottle, it just seems to taste better and better. So, you know, by the time I finish it next year, it's probably going to be about four years old and it's never been in a, a fridge. And I can assure all listeners that it is absolutely top-notch stuff. Yeah. So, yes, I think 2021 for me was the year of Namajuko. Brilliant. 
I, I, I hope that you're going to give me a small victory and say that it might have had something to do with uh, I, Yeah, you definitely absolutely introduced me to the idea of it. I wouldn't have even made the connection without you talking about it. Well, yes. welcome to the dark side. Yeah, there we There's go. There's no going back now. You know, and I've got this bottle. It's the last, as far as I know, it's the last unopened bottle of this uh, Murukonama Genshu Junmai Daiginjo from a local brewery that they aged accidentally for two years. I've gone through three bottles of it, and it's the last one I've asked everybody. I've asked at the brewery, nobody's got any more, so I don't want to open it. I'll have to drink it, and <laughs> it will be all gone. So, all right. You'll have to liberate it at some point, though. Yeah, so well, you know. It needs to be drunk. I'm thinking, you know, end of the year, that might be a, a, a good a good time. Yeah, say goodbye to 2021 with some 2019 sake. But that we will have to make that an episode. We'll, we, that's such a big topic that we'll we'll have to make not just namajuku, yeah. but the, the whole mean? misconception of of, of aging sake, sake which yeah. I think is largely um, you know that myth has been dispelled. But yeah, again, we we were conditioned by tax laws and things. We were never conditioned to um, to think that sake must be drunk young because of how it tastes. That's that's not the case. It's purely we've we've this image of sake being drunk young has been built up, but it was always done for you know tax reasons. How they tax the brewers is what you know led to this lost hundred years that they talk about, where where people didn't drink sake aged, but they certainly did in the Edo period, and it was a lot more expensive than the sake that wasn't aged, which tells you everything you, you need to know. What else did the twenty twenty one bring? I'm trying to think of it. It didn't start in 2021, but it certainly went to pretty ridiculous levels. Uh, your gluing sure recollection. Yeah, I mean it's it's getting kind of slightly concerning. My bank balance after <laughs> it's a very addictive thing to anyone that's not invested in a few nice choice pieces of pottery to drink from shuki, as they call them in Japanese. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's added a new dimension to my enjoyment of drinking sake. You don't need to spend a fortune on them, although it's very easy to spend a fortune on them. And they are just these tiny little clay cups. So certainly at first, the, the prices can be quite daunting. But when I said about, I've obviously stopped drinking for the brewing season, I found out very quickly that of course I missed the routine of having sake at, at dinner and with a meal because it's such a good accompaniment. But I also found very quickly that I was missing my routine of at work, maybe late afternoon, you start thinking about going home. My kind of routine in my head is to, to think, right, I'm drinking that sake tonight. Maybe it's a sake that Jim gave me, for example. You know, maybe it's something he sent me from Yamaguchi. So I'm immediately thinking, okay, Shirohagi, you know, I'll use my yeah. hagiyaki from such and such potter and I'll use this tokuri and, and I'll have it with that. And that, that was my routine. And I realized very on that I missed that almost as much as just the, the actual sake itself. I missed the routine of choosing a nice cup. And there is a bit of a science to it, probably a very flawed science, but you know, I like to match, if I can, the pottery to the, the region where the sake mm -hmm. came from, which is quite nice. So if you're drinking Okayama sake, definitely yeah. Bizen Yagi. Yeah. Uh, if you're drinking Yamaguchi sake, then definitely Shirohagi. 
uh, or I'm saying shirohagi, hagiyaki in, in general. But that's kind of my own little personal routine and I can't wait to get it started again. Yeah, it is another distinct layer on it, right? The idea, this, the, the pleasure of it. And, you know, there are people who talk about, like, there are rules to guide you and you should, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I don't like to call it rules, but the interaction and the, and, and the contemplation and letting yourself follow that process can just be really pleasant. Like, it's just really fun, you know, and I, I don't have nearly as extensive a collection as you do, Andy. I've very, very strictly limited myself for reasons of bank account and wife. But I've got some very, very important pieces to me personally. Was it the Taste with the Toji group? Um, I, I have two wonderful gifts from, from them. Simone sent me a wonderful Bizen Guinomi. And then uh, Robert Yellen, who is a, an internationally acclaimed expert on pottery, sent me an adorable Tokuri shaped like a bird. And I love birds. The, the sentiment of that of sort of pairing those together. And I, I broke them in using uh, Fukucho because obviously nice. you guys, you, you were the first brewery in the Taste with the Toji group. So there's sentimentality to it, but all of our sensory perceptions, our tastes and our interests and the things that we enjoy are all colored by sentiment, like our, our emotional and psychological state. That's an important part of it enjoy the, the pottery enjoy the pottery when you're drinking because it will make it taste better not physically there's no science but emotionally and it, that's that's real it's it's a real part of it so, yeah, yeah absolutely there's something almost liberating about it as well because before when when i drank sake before i discovered you know these these wonderful vessels to to drink them with let's acknowledge the elephant in the room when you're using a wine glass with ginjo, it's definitely going to emphasize aromas and stuff that might be slightly hidden away or, you know, not quite as prominent. You're not going to get that with a guinomi. You're not going to get that even with a, you know, a sakazuki or, you know, whatever the shapes are. A wine glass is going to optimize that, you know, it, it kind of augments the aromas some of the time as well. You're not going to get that with a, with a guinomi. It's not the point. When you let go of that side of thing, I find it makes the drinking a little more relaxing because you're not thinking, oh, well, if I change to my Riedel glass or whatever, mm. once I made that decision in my head, which is usually really arbitrary, you know, I'll get it in my head that I'm going to use Bizen Yaki tonight for no other reason than, you know, something silly like I've got Okayama Sake or, you know, there's some connection. It's not, as you said, a connection that's going to make it taste particularly better. But I just put those two together and, and that's the decision made. And then you can just enjoy the sake. And some of these cups, though, are so beautiful that I find myself just gazing at them. Yeah. You can spend just as much time just gazing at one of these things, you know, particularly, you know, the inside of some of these as well. You know, as you mentioned, Robert Yellen there, he told me that some potters put a lot of emphasis on that, how the sake is going to look, mm -hmm. you know, when it fills that cup. Like I said, it can be an expensive habit to get these, you know, famous national living treasures and stuff like that. You better be prepared to make some sacrifices with your bank account. But I really think it's worth it. And it, and it has just, like I said, it's added a new dimension to my enjoyment of sake. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to, just to sort of 
if anybody out there is is getting a little bit nervous, it doesn't have to be expensive. There are potters who are not super famous. It, typically, potters with really important legacies or important names, their works will be much more expensive just because you know there's more demand for them and people know about them. You can go to like these pottery areas and find lots and lots of pieces handmade with care. Maybe they're they're made in in larger numbers. Like a lot of these kilns will have workshops where they have you know I guess you'd call them apprentices making like tourist pieces and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with them. I have some one of a kind pieces that were made by potters who are not yet famous. The cheapest one was I think four thousand yen. What is that like thirty five bucks? Four thousand yen is about thirty British pound. So yeah, 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 not, not yeah you're you're absolutely right. I, I mentioned the price because it can be quite you know, yeah. surprising when you see some of these prices, but I've never bought a piece on price ever. I, you know, I'm just impulsive. If if I see one, usually it's unfortunately online at the moment because we, you know, yeah, can't go anywhere. Because of the, the obvious. If I want something, the price almost becomes irrelevant. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's cheap or very expensive. If that piece talks to me, then that I want to buy it. But like you said, it's nothing to do with that really. It's about this connection that you mm -hmm. have to them. Like you said, I've also got a piece from Simone, which she sent me Hagiyaki and she sent you Bizenyaki, which was quite cool because <laughs> it's probably the yeah, opposite yeah. of what we'd be expecting. Absolutely. Well, I was I have this big connection with Okayama and you're from Yamaguchi and she sent us the opposite, which was brilliant. But that piece, that is now one of my favourite pieces in my collection and it doesn't matter what I'm drinking, there'll just be nights where I go, yep, I haven't seen that cup for a few weeks. I'm going to bring out that cup and, you know, I know that that's, you know, that was my present from from Simone. So, yeah, that that's that's the point in it. Not buying on price, but buy pieces that, that speak to you and you, you, you know that you're going to have a relationship with that cup. <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's going to it's going to give you an enjoyment uh, while while you're drinking. So, yeah, but yeah, if, you know, gun to my head. Definitely be Zenyaki rules all. So. <laughs> well, there's still a lot out there to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're kind of moving along 2021, I've been thinking, we, we talked about uh, standout breweries, standout sake makers for 2021. This was a hard thing to think about because Andy told me I couldn't say Gokyo. <laughs> no, there have been some very impressive developments at some local breweries that I, you know, I, it's it's a lot to think about. But how about how about you, Andy? What who's who's your standout for twenty twenty one? Well, I'm a little bit nervous because I, I feel like I've kind of betrayed you slightly, Jim. This is not scripted at all, but yeah, I've been telling Jim all day that he can't pick Gokyo. But one of my ulterior motives for that is I wanted to pick Gokyo myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do. I do apologize. No, I'm not trying to. So I'm not trying to. You know, step on no, your no, turf. No, no, no. Or Mr. Yamaguchi sake. Well, no. But genuinely, I can back it up. We we went to Gokyo in March. It was almost the end of a very tough season for me. It was just a great day getting out there. But the brewery really did impress me. I mean, before COVID, that was my thing. I went to as many breweries as I can. I still maintain. You learn something new every time you visit a brewery. You're going to learn much more by visiting breweries than you are from any of the sources that you get, including this, including our our respective websites. Going to these breweries and speaking to the people that make sake themselves, listening to the history, seeing how they do things. 
that is the number one way to learn about sake. So I'd done a lot of these before, but Gokyo really impressed me. There's just something that, you know, really appeals to the inner geek. You know, we've talked about maybe being slightly critical about some breweries that are really just aiming for safe and steady sake. Mm -hmm. and, and they tend to be breweries that are on the bigger end of the scale. Well, Gokyo is a big brewery, but when we went in, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was outrageous. There was three tanks of Sokujo, but they were all different kinds of Sokujo. They were all different styles. I think when we were there, there was Kimoto on the go at that mm -hmm. point. There was Yamahai on the go. They're literally doing everything. There was a separate Kura for Kiyoke, wooden tanks. We saw all these, this amazing stuff going on. It was literally a sake brewer's paradise to, to, to speak to the toji, to speak to the owner and to have such detailed explanations. But more than any of that, they, they're doing all that, all these different challenges and everything. But we never tried any sake that wasn't great. It was all brilliant. So the bar for these breweries that are that are making churning out sake that's you know that's very similar is that kind of everything is level and plain. They're managing that on quality standards, but they're also being extremely experimental. And that you have to take your hat off for that. So. Wow. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear you say that. I honestly have a question for you, and I I was hoping you could help with this. I cannot think of a crazy sake style that they do not make. No, I, I do you know I was thinking that today as well. So, you know, we, we talked about this. We we talked about this for a vent or something you were doing, or you sent me something. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Some, it was, it was don't the taste do, of the toji thing, right? Yeah. So we were saying they don't do bodai moto, nope, and then I, we found out actually they do. I've got a bottle so, of it in the fridge. Yeah. So. <laughs> And then they don't do Kijoshu, but they do. They call um, it, just use a different name, yeah. Yeah, they just use a different name because you have to pay a membership to be part of that. So, yeah, they, they do everything. Kijoshu, Bodaimoto, Kimoto, Yamahai, different styles of Yamahai. Uh, Sokujo, different styles of Sokujo as well. Black um, Koji, white Koji. Yeah, yellow I, Koji. I have not seen 100% uh, Semai Buai yet. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be Seishu, but it would be 96. So 96 is the highest that, that they've gone, as far as I know. Yeah, so the bottle you sent me was was Ride Black. And yeah, we okay. saw that in the Kiyoke, and that uses, obviously, Black Koji. And we, we got to see that, yeah. you know, and, and literally ask the Toji, can we buy that later on? And you managed to track down a bottle, so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's incredible, uh, but that, that, that brewery visit did have an indelible effect. I mean, as you know, you know, we're brewing with Kiyoki this year for the first time in, you know, the 80 years or something in the history of Fukucho. We bought a, a modest sized Kiyoki, mm -hmm. but that was the, the turning point for me was speaking to uh, Nakama-san and, you know, hearing his passion for, for Kiyoki. You know, that is really above all else. That's his passion. And it is just a fascinating piece of brewing history as well, Kiyoke. Yeah, okay, that was the light switch. I need to try that as well. That, that was all thanks to, to you getting us a, a, an invitation at yeah. the, the, the last minute. 
Anytime, anytime. I think Nakama san, I, I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to blow my intro, but I think he likes me because he's, <laughs> he's not, he, he's not said no to any request yet. So fingers crossed. Well, yeah, that's, that's keep, him, keep him with him because. Yeah. That makes me happy. That makes me happy. Well, I'm glad it could have went either way. You could have, well, you couldn't no. throw in anything at me because no. we're in a different room, but as a. Uh, I didn't want you to say Gokyo because <laughs> we, we all know you love Gokyo. You don't need yeah. to tell us that. So I was thinking about it because it is clear that I love Gokyo. I think it's probably pretty clear that I love Nakashima Shuzojo as well, who does, uh, they have a full line of Kimoto. So I actually, I decided today, this is an honest uh, opinion, like a brewery that has really, really impressed me this year is Hatsumomiji Shuzo. Um, they make Harada. They are a very small brewery, physically and sort of in production wise. And um, the thing that, that really got me thinking deeply about them this year is that so the the, the Toji started he, he restarted brewing at his at his facility after twenty years in back in two thousand I think it was two thousand five is when they restarted brewing. So he's been brewing there for sixteen years, seventeen years, and. They, they've done well like they've you know they've they've created a a, brew, a a brewery character you can you can drink harada and and you feel it you you can say all right this is this is harada it's good sake it's high quality sake and they they reinvented themselves this year they did a full redesign of not only their labels but the brewery they changed so much about the brewing um they've they've changed their yeasts they've changed the yeast mixes they've changed their pressing techniques and through that all, they, they've maintained that character even as it changed. Like you, it still tastes like Harada, but it also tastes new, like it's different. Like this is not the Harada I had last year. Now, if I'm 100% honest, a couple of the brews, I prefer the older versions because I think they've moved to much more modern yeasts. So like they, they, they do an 80% Junmai, uh, which was like really, hefty like and really strong and firm and, and now it's it's much more modern and much more fruity which personally is not something i enjoy as much but like you know i i find that really interesting and impressive that they can maintain a character even through really significant changes and something else that they've done it's like i don't know like i, I think i've talked to you about it andy but they have this new sub-label that they call Tesaku, which I'm not going to go into what the name means. It's just this incredibly long, almost poetic explanation. But it's a new take on seasonal sake. So every season, right? Because they brew year-round. So in, I guess it would have been the end of summer, midsummer, they did a, a really sort of light nama, really fresh and, and delicate and light. And then for autumn, late autumn, they did, they didn't call it a hiaroshi, but it's it's a take on hiaroshi. It's an interpretation of hiaroshi, right. where they blended a variety of aged Junmai Daiginjo. And it's almost an artistic interpretation of what hiaroshi is, right? It, well, because- I've never really heard of people like trying to kind of replicate the flavor, if you will, with, with the aged sake. That's very yeah. interesting. It's, it was delicious. Like it was, it tasted like they were trying to do something that was new for them and new for, I think, 
consumers because this idea of of blending obviously is something that people are are really getting interested in and they're very public about it and blending an autumn sake that is not hiaroshi they, they they don't call it hiaroshi it's an aged sake that they're trying to evoke a sense of autumn and it it's it's super interesting it's it's extremely expensive um but yeah, and they're do they're just they're they're doing new things, and they haven't been at it that long, and, and and they're doing it successfully. So to me, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's always good to see a brewery, you know. Of course, you want to see reinvention and you want to see innovation, but it's good to to keep that core of the essence of what it means to the to the brand. I I don't see the point in completely modernizing just to keep up with trends if they're doing something that perhaps makes their their workflow better and what have you but it you know obviously ups the quality but keeps that that core as long as the sake was good in the first place which you, you yeah told me it is so oh, well we know we know what you need to send me next then is a, is a bottle of that yeah <laughs> i haven't got my own bottle i haven't got my own bottle yet because it's it, that's it's it's the kind of price that you kind of have to steal yourself to pay Wow. How, how bad 60, are we talking? It's sixty six hundred, so six thousand six hundred yen for yeah, seven twenty. That's, that's on the pricey side. Yeah, that's yeah. My my personal sort of my personal limit is five thousand for for a seven twenty for a special event sake six thousand. But then, like it was really good, and they only do a hundred bottles a year, so. Yeah, I I think I've spent about that once on a bottle of sake as well, but I, I tend not, not really. I don't spend more than about fifteen hundred yen yeah, yeah. on 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 a bottle. I, Most I, of the sake I tend I not to. Yeah, is about is about that. Maybe two thousand yen when you start getting into ginjo kimotos and things. But um, yeah, that that's about my my limit. I mean that that's the the amazing thing about living in in Japan is you can get an absolutely incredible bottle for. 1500 yen yeah it's, yeah you have to kind of stop and appreciate that sometimes yeah. because that is not it's the case for people overseas unfortunately so let's hope one day it'll change but um, i suspect the tax man in respective countries will will say otherwise so right. that, that's a bit of a shocker then to finish that our both of our recommended breweries to round out 2021 are both from Yamaguchi then, so. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, sorry. I, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I, I, I was gonna say Fukucho, but then I thought you were gonna say Fukucho. Yeah, it's all right, now that you've said that, we can, we can edit out your first bit and just leave that bit in. So. No, but yeah, the, the hybrid Kimoto was fantastic stuff this year. Namajuku. Yes, that Namajuku. And you know, the thing that got me about that Namajuku is, is it had that character that I mentioned, right? That that tint of, of almost egginess, but it was really, really, really subtle because, you know, Fukucho has got that bright juiciness and yeah, yeah it, 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 it didn't, it didn't clash at all. So. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a, it was a Fukucho-esque Namajuku, which yeah. It's, it's really just common sense when you talk about, you know, what would happen to a sake that has these characteristics and you age it, well, it's going to maintain yeah, yeah. those characteristics, but, but get a more aged version of it. So. But, but yeah, it did, but it didn't fall apart. Right. I, I think this idea that, 
that sort of bright juiciness, it feels like freshness. Like it, it feels like something that should be connected to something younger. But even when you age it, that doesn't go away. It, it just changes a little bit. It's still recognizable. And I think that's it's fascinating. Enough about 2021, 2022. What's on the radar? Well, I think we've just decided here and then that we need to do an episode, maybe just on Namajuku, but if if not, then definitely aging sake. Mm-hmm. And that that yeah. that is one, of course, that that is all going to come after the Kinoto episode. So Kinoto episode is yeah, January first. You know, th- big February thank 1st. you to to our our listeners and hearing yeah. us as we dip our toes into this new this new venture for both of us to starting a podcast but lots more to come in 2022 yeah hopefully as we get more used to this it'll be even better maybe we'll get some famous guests maybe get, yeah well, that's that, that, that's that's something we, we can try and work out and we can try and work out the the logistics of it and uh, you know how it can fit in with with a deep dive because that is the the point or, or maybe we'll just do some specials but it would be good to get some some of the the, the glitterati from the the industry on to, to to tell us how it really all works well first up is uh philip harper get him get him on the phone yeah i'll let i'll let you i'll let you make that call so all right well andy thank you so much it's, yeah, thank it was you, good Jim. to talk thank you this for is... your or your tireless effort doing the editing it's a learning process but yeah thank you to our listeners for sticking with us and hopefully you'll you'll keep with us as we move into a better year let's let's just let's just pray hope and pray for a better near year next year because uh, i'm ready to get some travel going that is our sake deep dive in the shallow end of the pool the 2021 year in review as always you know where to find us. We need to go through all that rigmarole this time. So cheers and come by. Come by and everyone have a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy holidays. Stay warm. Stay safe. 